January 20th, 2017, will be remembered as the day the people became the rulers of this nation again. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. We do not seek to impose our way of life on anyone, but rather to let it shine as an example. We will shine for everyone to follow. There should be no fear. We are protected and we will always be protected. We will be protected by the great men and women of our military and law enforcement. And most importantly, we will be protected by God. We stand at the birth of a little millennium, ready to unlock the mysteries of space, to free the earth from the miseries of disease, and to harness the energies, industries, and technologies of tomorrow. A new national pride will stir ourselves, lift our sights, and heal our divisions. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. Together, we will make America strong again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And yes, together, we will make America great again. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. Let's go see the elephant when I'm alone. This is Christopher Hart. Welcome to the American Adversaries Second Helping Podcast, where we give you a sample of our American Adversaries radio show, which airs live Sunday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen at the AnswerOrlando.com website, on our website, AmericanAdversaries.com, and on our Rumble channel, American Adversaries. On Monday's show, John Barrows, Rick Brown, and I spoke to John's son about his efforts in Nebraska to shake things up in his counties and the state's Republican Party. All right, so we got a full house tonight. I got the man about town, Rick Brown, sitting next to me. How you doing, Rick? Oh, you know, Mondays are always a special day for me to be here with you and John and today we have a special guest here so we're we're in good shape that's right yeah got big john barrows here with his florida for trump cap on that's right 
It's so good to be here. So thankful. All right. Great to see you, John. And he's brought his son with him today, one of his sons, Matthew. Great to see you, Matthew. Good to be here, sir. I'm a big fan, so it's uh, it's kind of surreal being in this room with you guys. <laughs> I appreciate that. And he's all the way here from Nebraska. That's right, Nebraska. And he's been doing some pretty good things in uh, shaking things up in Nebraska we're going to talk about here in nice. a few minutes. I am the philosopher, political mad scientist, Christopher Hart, and Pete Paquette is on the bridge uh, for us tonight. Jeff will be back at the end of the week, but we are in excellent hands with Pete. So uh, 407-774-8255 is the number. Abe Katzman will be joining us from Jerusalem here in about 15 minutes or so. Nostradamus is also going to be in, and he's got a bunch of news stories, including the, the Pope. The Pope is up to it again. Uh, he is uh, he's taken a page from the progressive Democrats here in shutting down free speech. Only we'll tell you whose speech he shut down this time and why. And um, you remember that guy that they hauled into jail, John, for doing basically what you do? Yes. Uh, Hauk, was Hauk. it David Hauk? Yep. Um, he has decided to get back, you might say, at the DOJ. So uh, we'll tell you what he's doing. And John, of course, is going to be updating us on things going on down on the terrace down there. That's right. Some some pretty big stuff happening down there. Good things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, his son, Matt, is going to tell us what he's up to in Nebraska. But first, just let me remind you, of course, that this hour of our show every Monday is brought to us by Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, where they are huge supporters of Israel there. And, of course, the whole purpose of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations is to make sure that our youth are not taught the wrong stuff and are taught of the Judeo-Christian heritage of our country. Our Constitution was written based on the first five books of the Bible. So it's important that everybody, uh, our children, are educated to that. So that's what they do. Lori has been in South Florida. She did a conference in Boca Raton yesterday and over the weekend, uh, helping them to recruit and uh, get school board members elected down there. And uh, she still was doing uh, meetings today. She'll be back in with us next week. But uh, you can be a part of the solution by going to Proclaiming Justice to the Nations' website, pjtn.org. That's for Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. And you can sign up for alerts and that sort of thing. And even better than that, you can become a watchman. And for only 20 bucks a month, you can help them do what they do to make sure that the Judeo-Christian heritage in our country is not forgotten. And we're in a situation now where not only are the schools trying to forget it, they're trying to bury it, right? They're, they're trying to do away with it altogether. So uh, school boards uh, are, uh, are extremely important in this day and age. I mean, it's, it's just something we always kind of took for granted that the school boards would be looking out for our children. Well, we found out different over the last three or four years, and uh, it's time to tighten them up. And uh, by the way, there's going to be a school board seat uh, open in, or up for election, obviously, in Orange County next year. And we've got a Republican woman who's already declared she's wanting to run for that seat. So, uh, you know, it's game on. And now is the time to get involved. And Matthew, you have been shaking things up in Nebraska in a big way. Tell us uh, what you've been doing out there. Yes, sir. Um, you know, you mentioned the school boards. We just had a young lady in Nebraska 
uh, a city just next to mine that I live in. Um, I live in a city, a suburb just south of Omaha, and uh, we just had a young lady actually drop out of. She was on the school board, and she just uh, just quit because of the harassment that she was getting by, you know, those on the left, uh, by the progressive left. Um, and this know, is in Nebraska. Now. This is in Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, I can't echo. I, it is so important what you're saying about the school boards. School boards and city councils are where a lot of stuff is taking place um, in terms of education, in terms of things that will impact you. Um, for those listening, I mean, the, the biggest impacts that are going to be on your life are right there local to you. Um, all politics is local, and it is so important to get involved uh, at a local level. And that's that's what we've done. Um, myself and a couple other people started a political action committee about four years ago. Uh, it's called the Nebraska Freedom Coalition. Uh, and our, you know, our goal was to, you know, change the culture because politics runs downstream of culture. And so uh, we really have, in my opinion, a hundred year project of taking back the culture of this country. And, um, you know, we, you know, had in mind to fight the left and fight the progressives. But unfortunately, we've had to fight uh, what I would call the uniparty of, of Republicans. Uh, there are progressives in the Republican Party. People need to understand what progressive is and what it means. Um, and it's just a, it's a top down we're going to tell you what the right thing is to do. We're going to tell you how to behave. We're going to tell you who the right candidate is. And unfortunately, a lot of our candidates are, are selected, not elected. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to give a voice to the grassroots organizations of Nebraska. Um, and we really partnered with a lot of people during the, uh, during the COVID years um, in terms of pen- medical freedom. Uh, and so anything freedom, anything, you know, Bill of Rights related, I mean, that's what we're about. And really, unfortunately, the fight is with our children at this point. And it is so vital that people get involved at their local county level. And you're so right. This is going to be a long term project. And it's and it's an always project, too. It's something that has to be renewed with every generation or it will be lost and forgotten. I'm talking about the heritage our country is founded upon. And uh, and you've also made an impact in the county that you live in. Yeah, uh, we actually organized, we've actually been able to overthrow the Uniparty at both the state level and uh, in my county. Now he's talking uh, in the Republican Party. In the Republican Party. The Republican Party, uh, you know, everybody understands this. I mean, you and I were talking before the show started. There is a grassroots, you know, movement that's taking place. I think Trump had a lot to do with getting it started, but you really saw the, the beginning stages of it during the Tea Party movement. Yep. You know, it really started then. Uh, and Trump really just capitalized on it and understood that there was this kind of fomenting urge, sense of urgency within the grassroots people and the regular blue collar people like us every, you know, that was going on. And he really tapped into that. And that's why I think his movement is so strong, not just because of who he is. It is a lot to do with who he is, but it's also just this untapped sense of urgency that we're losing our country. And uh, we were able to to tap into that as well and teach people about the delegate process and this is another thing is the Republican uh, Party, the Uniparty, the progressives in the Republican Party, they don't want you to understand how pol- political parties work. They don't want you to understand the process because you can take over your party from a grassroots perspective, from a patriot perspective. You can take it over. And we've been able to do that at both the state level and then my county, as well as other counties in western Nebraska. And if, this might come as a shock because you think Nebraska. You think, oh, you know, what could possibly be going on in Nebraska? got to be red. But I'm there. telling you, every state has this problem. That's right. Every county has this problem. And we've got to get involved. These are boring. These are boring processes. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, county board meetings and school board meetings and party meetings are not fun. They're They're awful. 
beautiful. It's like watching grass grow. But if you don't do it, then somebody else is going to do it for you, and they're not going to have your bench interest or your kids' interest at heart. Yeah. Uh, worse than watching grass grow, it's like watching weeds take over your lawn, right? <laughs> and just when you're not paying attention, something will get slipped through. And then everybody wakes up and says, well, how did that happen? Well, it's because you weren't paying attention at these meetings. Yeah. You have so to be there. It's, it's important that we are involved, as, as, as Matthew was saying, and Rick, is local politics. This is where so many decisions that are made that affect our daily lives. It's not, you know, everything doesn't come down from Washington, D.C. And we found that out, you know, during COVID. Oh, yeah. You know, you can just see the, the difference between how a Seminole County government handled it from Orange County government. Seminole County was more freedom-oriented, and Orange County was more authoritarian-oriented with, uh, uh, with the, the mayor there, uh, Jerry Demings. So, so it does make a big difference. Now, can somebody help, out, help you out, the Nebraska Freedom Coalition? Absolutely. Uh, we're at NebraskaFreedom.org. NebraskaFreedom.org is our, is our website. All right, NebraskaFreedom.org. I would, to, to be honest with you, though, I would much rather see those or hear those listening. I would much rather hear you tell me that they got involved right here in Florida because <laughs> I know you guys have a lot of work to do here. I'd love to see somebody like me that has the passion of fire that I do start a pack themselves and just start making a difference right here in Florida. Because you guys, in my opinion, you guys got one of the best states in the entire country, and I would hate, you know, I would hate for you to lose that and lose yeah. the freedoms that you guys all enjoy here. Yep, absolutely. NebraskaFreedom.org. And we do have some great organizations here. Uh, there have been some big gains made in the the county Republican parties here, but there's still a lot of work to be done oh, in the state party and other counties. And yeah. Laurie's doing incredible work with the school boards. Uh, absolutely. And then uh, and then you, we got the Florida Republican Assembly, the Republican Assemblies. They're incredible. And, yeah, doing great work as well. So there are a number of organizations you can already join, but he's right. If somebody out there has the fire and wants to organize a pack, uh, you can make a big difference that way, too. NebraskaFreedom.org. All right, so... Uh, a couple things before we get to Abe. Uh, a couple things we went over last night. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but it's worth mentioning again uh, that uh, a couple things developed over the weekend in the Atlanta case with Donald Trump. A federal judge has made a ruling that a case that involves uh, Raffensperger, the uh, Secretary of State up in there Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, in Georgia, that uh, challenges the vulner- or, or challenges the security of the voting machines and alleges their vulnerabilities. That this federal judge Totenberg has ordered that that case will go to trial. Raffensperger was trying to get it dismissed, and that that trial will start on January the ninth, coming up, and that the judge in the judge's uh, order. Uh, the judge basically excoriated Raffensperger and says that not only is there some, but there's ample, a lot of uh, evidence that indicates the vulnerability of the Dominion voting machines. Mm -hmm. Now, in conjunction with that, but not as part of it, now some of the state elections supervisors are saying that, yes, indeed, the voting tabulation machines are hooked up to a modem. 
so that they can get the results out quickly. Did you ever wonder? And I know we talked about this on the show. How do you? How is it that you think that they can tabulate the voting machine totals and get them immediately? to the election supervisors and the state supervisors. Well, you know, even here, we volunteer, our company volunteers in concert with Boys Town, and we collect the voting machines after Election Day. We work at the, the precinct at the Tuscarora Country Club, and they come in and they tell you whether they had uploaded their data or not because these machines are connected to the Internet. Matter of yeah. fact, and yeah. those that didn't, they have IT folks there that immediately grab that machine, take it inside of the country club, and upload the data. So, of course, they've got Internet connections. Right. And, and, and they it, spent how long lying to us <laughs> and people believing that there was no Internet connection to these machines? But now the way they're explaining it is just the way you explained it. Of course they're connected. They of have course. to be yeah. for us to be able to get the totals back and forth. But it's 180 from what they've been telling us for the past right. how many years? Now, of course... If this case goes against Raffensperger, it could throw a huge monkey wrench into that whole Atlanta case and, I dare say, the Washington, D.C. case where deranged Jack Smith had a little fit today because Donald Trump over the weekend, he's already made it clear, and over the weekend his uh, attorneys filed a motion that, uh, that the proceedings be televised that the Washington, D.C. case be televised. And, of course, the prosecutors are having a fit about this. Why, you would think that they would want to have their their case presented to the whole country yeah. live. No, 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 no. no, no. So they, they, would, they, they accuse Trump of wanting to make it, turn it into a, quote-unquote, carnival atmosphere. Well, of course. Why not? <laughs> like it is. Like it's not already? Yeah. Why and not? That, and that judge up there in New York, you're talking about a clown, man, a carnival atmosphere. But this case in Georgia, this uh, federal judge, Totenberg, uh, as I said, that could change everything. Uh, because, once again, if it is proved, especially in a federal court, that there was uh, ample uh, reason to believe that the election was rigged, fixed, stolen, however you want to say it, then that undermines everything, everything. about these other cases. Yep. So um, that that is a major development, and, and and the upside is that Donald Trump every day this trial goes on being televised has taxpayer funded campaign ads. Every single day. <laughs> of course, the judge is going to deny it. I don't know that she even has the power to allow it because I believe Congress mm-hmm. are the ones. But wouldn't it be something if the new House Speaker would rush through a bill? saying that, uh, oh, yeah, it's fine with us. Yeah. Right? Anyway, when we come back, uh, we'll be joined by Abe Katzman. And once again, you can help out Matthew Barrows at NebraskaFreedom.org. I love that, Nebraska Freedom. Trump and Tuesday with myself, Mike McBath, and Randy Ross featured a couple of timely interviews. First, we spoke with renowned pollster, author, and political consultant Dick Morris about his newest book, Corrupt, the inside story of Biden's dark money, where he alleges he has the goods on Joe Biden. The author, political consultant, advisor, and world's most famous pollster, Dick Morris, to talk about his brand new book, Corrupt, the inside story of Biden's dark money. Dick, thanks for being back on with us. How are you doing tonight? Well, thank you. It's great. Well, well, I know in your book, The Return, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback, you mentioned in one of the chapters, you talked about Biden's shady business deals. I take yep. it corrupt builds on that chapter. Yeah, it sure does. A skyscraper. 
Um, <laughs> pull up the book had certain details, the accounts of his uh, of the son's investments and profits, and they share how they shared with Joe in uh, China, Russia, Kazakhstan, Iraq, um, Costa Rica, and a bunch of other countries. And what's most important about the book is it shows what Joe Biden did for the money. You know, this, these bribes were basically quid pro quo, but nobody's ever spelled out what the pro quo was. Right. What did China give Biden? Uh, I'm sorry, what did Biden give China? What did the United States do to China at the behest of Biden? And there was 20 steps that the administration took or refused to take that were to China's benefit and against the interests of the U.S. Begin with COVID. There was never a serious investigation into the origins of COVID, and China successfully walled off its Wuhan lab and its personnel from any scrutiny. Nobody ever has spoken to those employees. China says a backbite spread. Most people say a lab leak, but a lot of people, including me, suspect it wasn't a lab leak, but it was a deliberate biological attack on the United States designed to defeat Trump and screw up our economy. By the way, uh, Senator so Rand, many others there. Senator Rand have, Paul echoes that uh, charge about the uh, purposeful. Does. Yeah, he, he does. Yep. And uh, Biden let in three hundred and fifty thousand Chinese exchange students into the U.S. and then dissolved the office Trump had set up in the FBI to monitor their activities and to screen for set for intelligence to spy. Uh, China has a monopoly on rare earth minerals. Those are essential to car batteries and uh, any kind of solar energy and uh, wind turbine energy. And uh, China's monopoly is being challenged by proposals in the U.S. to build rare earth mineral mines here. We have plentiful rare earth minerals that used to lead the world in their production. And Biden has vetoed every single one of those applications, including a huge application for a mine in northern Minnesota. Um, well, let, let me ask you, do, do you have similar connections with the other countries? I think we know in Ukraine with the Burisma thing, but you mentioned several yeah. other countries. Do you have similar connections? Because somebody might argue, well, he's just making bad decisions that somehow happen to benefit China. No big deal. Well, no, I mean, nobody collects off Biden the way China does. It's, uh, I mean, some do, but they pay bribes to the to Bidens, but they but when a highway contractor pays you money, that's corruption. But when you're taking money from our biggest international rival uh, to do favors for them and against our own national interests, I think that's treason. Um, China right now is trying to topple the dollar from its supremacy in the globe as the international currency. And Biden has done nothing to stop it and, in fact, enables it by his deficit spending and the inflation in the U.S. China's built islands in the South China Sea without the U.S. paying a peep, like unsinkable aircraft carriers used in an invasion of Taiwan. Uh, China's opened bases in Cuba, a uh, thing that Wright Kennedy almost went to war with Russia to prevent in the 60s. uh, China requires U.S. businesses, when they move to China, to, to take a partner and give them 51% of their company, the worst arranged marriage there ever was. 
and uh, to turn over all of the technical secrets and their patents and intellectual property. And companies have done that en masse, and Biden has done nothing to stop them from doing it. Well, um, there are just so many examples of policies well, that are plainly against the interests of the United States and plainly in the interest of China. I detail 20 of them in my book. And that's why I think these allegations go far more than just corruption and bribery. They go literally to betraying the interests of the United States. Do you think he did it knowing he was betraying the interest or just out of selfish... Sem- oh, absolutely. Sure he did, of course. Yeah, um, yeah, Dick, another question is the end game. What does he think the end game's going to be as you rip apart the country, you know, one way or another? Where are we going to be when this whole thing comes apart and no one if no one steps in? Well, he's going to be a lot richer, $30 million richer. So I think that answers your question. But where America will be, uh, I believe, will be under Donald Trump as the president. And I believe he will dismantle everything that Biden has done. And, uh, and at the same time, insist that China stop subsidizing exports, stop manipulating its currency, stop requiring U.S. companies to cough over their technology, stop them from building artificial island aircraft carriers in the South China Sea and a whole host of other stuff. I think Trump is going to be very fierce about that. And I think that China knows that. In a transaction like this, you always have two parts. The one is when you're bribing the person. The other is when you're afraid that if you stop bribing them, they'll turn on you. And that seems to be the situation now. All right. We're speaking, of course, with Dick Morris about his brand new book, Corrupt, the inside story of Biden's dark money, where he makes these connections uh, of policy decisions and initiatives to money that the Biden family has received from these foreign countries, China prominently. I take it that you're not all that comfortable with Xi Jinping and Joe Biden meeting in San Francisco tomorrow? No, I'm not. But I'm even more appalled by Gavin Newsom traveling to China to basically to open his presidential campaign with a meeting with our worst enemy. Uh, it, it's such a, such a bad signal and, uh, and something we should remember as Newsom actually does run for president. You know, Dick, uh, yesterday, eight Republicans voted with the Democrats to not impeach Mayorkas. And, you know, there's been talk of impeaching Joe Biden. Knowing that, do you think that even with this information you're providing, that there would be the will in Congress to impeach Joe Biden? And don't absolutely there will be. You think? Um, Mayorkas is a small fry compared to that. And uh, I think Comer's committee is, is in the process of building an airtight case. They're not there yet, but I think they definitely will be. And I think, frankly, the indictments of Donald Trump, engineered by the Biden administration, opened the door for the indictment of Joe Biden over what he's done, because what he's done is far more serious than anything Trump has caused to do. Trump may have taken some classified documents home with him. They made some inappropriate phone calls in Georgia, but he didn't give away the whole story to the Chinese Communist Party, as Biden has done. Well, of course, Biden has his own document scandal, shall we say. And yeah. does that play any role in your research? Yeah, uh, my research details all of the steps that Biden and the Justice Department took to impede the investigation of Biden classified documents. 
and to impede any investigation of Hunter Biden. Um, the FBI requested, for example, they'd be permitted to search Biden's vacation home, and he was refused. And uh, at one point, the FBI telegraphed to Hunter that there the, the investigators were coming, so he better button everything up. Um, that's a whole separate element in this. You know, Dick, when you look at all the homes Biden has and everything, it's obvious from his salary he could have never afforded these. I mean, yep. at what point do we reach where we just say, we got enough evidence, let's go? Well, in a few weeks, I think. I think Comer just subpoenaed Joe's and Hunter's bank account, and that'll reveal all of this. When Joe Biden left the United States Senate uh, after 36 years of service in 2008, his net worth was $21,000. That's it. He was either the dumbest senator or the most honest. Now it's oh, now it's $10 million. Uh, that You don't get that on a VP salary. Most of that money came between the time he left office as vice president and the time he took office as president. good example of that is that China literally put him on their payroll. They gave the University of Pennsylvania $58 million to set up Penn Biden Center for Global Engagement and Diplomacy. And they paid Biden almost a million dollars a year to be the professor there. He never taught any courses. And by the way, they put Blinken on their payroll as the managing director of the center. So, and they had given, the China had given the University of Pennsylvania $17 million over the four-year period before 2017. Between 2017 and 2020, they gave them $70 million. And the only difference there was that Joe Biden became president. And uh, so, I mean, it's, it's awfully graphic. Mr. Morris, I'm the more naive person that's going to interview you today because I sometimes just think, what in the world's going on? How is it possible some things can be so clear and obvious, even if you're a journalist and looking at this from an objective, if they can? standpoint versus the subjective side, all of these things, how can they be so obvious? And yet we go down this rabbit hole of ignoring the truth. Right. Well, part of it is the fault of the law the, and the loophole. Um, the federal law is very strict about what the what president and wife, his wife, the candidate, the president and his wife have to reveal about their income sources, their donations, and all that. But there's absolutely no requirement for a son or a daughter or an in-law or an aunt or an uncle to reveal anything. So Hunter was able to do all of this in total obscurity. And his father was able to tell people, don't bribe me, bribe, bribe him. So for example, on his first visit to China, uh, he flew with Hunter as his uh, traveling companion. Hunter had no role except to basically be Biden's bag man. So he circumvented the law by channeling all this through his son. And that's the law we have to change. By the way, Harry Reid in Nevada, the ex-majority leader, did the same damn thing. His son set up a lobbying firm and collected all the money that Harry Reid couldn't be seen collecting, uh, basically buying influence in the Senate. Dick, you know, you know, a lot of Republicans, and of course you're making a case for impeaching Joe Biden, 
But if we had our druthers, don't we want him to be the Democrat nominee, especially given the poll and the momentum that we're seeing? And I, I presume that your polling and your research is, is indicative yeah. of the same thing. Please, go ahead. It is. But first of all, the Democrats would have a very hard time recovering from the scandal of the impeachment of their president. Um, the uh, Republican Party was basically out of power for eight years after the Watergate scandal. And uh, I think that the that would have a devastating effect on the Democratic Party. And secondly, I think that, uh, that we're going to win this election because of Trump's popularity, because of the tremendous support he's built around the country, uh, and because... Uh, people feel that he's being persecuted and uh, and that he's being singled out by the government for discrimination, basically stopping from being president. But there was one other thing I want to mention on your show has not been covered in the media, but should be. You know, the Republicans have lusted after control of the United States Senate. Right. But when Manchin announced he wasn't going to run again, nobody's really written that that effectively gives them control of the Senate next year. Uh, when Manchin leaves the Senate, that seat will obviously go Republicans. They have a Republican state. And that would be the 50th Republican senator. And if Trump is elected, his vice president will cast the deciding vote, letting the Republicans organize the Senate. So we basically are in a position where we're going to control the House, probably by a larger margin because of Trump's winning, and the Senate, at least because of that. There are also five seats we might pick up. But the point is that Trump will take office as president, controlling both houses of Congress, which is a magnificent tribute. Dick, do you think China would consider it all a hot war against the United States while Biden's in office? No, I don't think so. I think maybe maybe Taiwan, but no, not against the U.S. directly. you got to realize that Something was pointed out to me by one of the top NSC officials. China has a large military, but it has not fought a war since 1970. And uh, its military potential is untested. Its people are not combat-ready, combat-prepared. And it's likely that you'd see the same problems in the Chinese military that have been exposed in the Russian military as Ukraine basically has defeated them. And uh, I do not think that the Chinese are ready for a war with the United States. All right. Uh, Dick Morris, thanks for being with us. He's the author of the brand new book, Corrupt. And by the way, our best to both you and your wife and have a marvelous Thanksgiving. And uh, and and congratulations on another excellent read. And it is an excellent read. Thank you so much. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Dick Morris. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Uh, Author of Corrupt, the inside story of Biden's dark money. And he emphasized China, but that's not the whole book. I mean, he goes through these other countries as well Mm -hmm. and makes these associations and the connections. And would it be enough for an impeachment? I I don't know, given, you know, what's all happened with Mayorkas yesterday. But certainly it adds to the pile of evidence, like Randy was talking about, this huge pile of evidence. And duh. 
You know, right? It's right in front I of mean, your nose. I mean, how much evidence do you need to put somebody away? We needed away? far less evidence against yeah. Trump. Hey, that's exactly. They Substantially got no evidence against Trump. marched their papers through. Val Demings, remember, she was marching oh, her papers yes. through there. That's right. They're all wearing it, almost like a, a sorority affair as they're walking in. The, the parade from the, the House parade, chamber to yes. the Senate chamber to deliver mm-hmm. the impeachment. And then impeachment. we learned that it was all BS. Indeed. All right, so get the book corrupt, and uh, and I'll, I'll be uh, going over it more with you as well. But uh, it's, by the way, all Dick Morris's books are excellent reads. They're very well researched, and he's got an excellent writing style. So it's an easy read for you, and you come away with a lot more knowledge than you started with. Later on Tuesday, we spoke with Congressman Corey Mills, who had just come off the House floor after having voted against the two continuing resolutions that the new House Speaker had crafted to avoid a so-called government shutdown. We got Congressman Corey Mills going to join us right now from Capitol Hill. Congressman Mills, uh, what you guys been up to today? Well, it's great to be back with you. Unfortunately, uh, what we were up to today is a lot of the same from D.C. Uh, more inflationary spending, uh, no ability for D.C. to have the political courage to stop with these continual resolutions at the Pelosi level of spending. Uh, and no real economic growth strategy. You know, it's it's uh, it's becoming more and more disheartening as we go on. And look, I'm proud of the fact that we have gotten to appropriation bills, single point appropriation bills with cuts. But we need to look at cuts. We need to look at reforms, and we need to look at an economic growth strategy and stop with the DC dance that is just spin, spin, spin. I mean, I had one of my bills uh, amendments today that had serious cuts, that had hundreds of millions of dollars that I was able to uh, get as a voice vote passed, but a second vote that would have cut another $158 million to the NIH for their out-of-control spending. And remember, this is the same agency, the NIH, who funded under Fauci the gain of function that led to the pandemic and the release in the Wuhan laboratory. I went to do $158 million to cut funding from that, and we had Republicans that were actually voting against it because they thought it was too big of a cut. <laughs> this oh. is the nonsense that we see here in D.C., and I told you I wouldn't support these CRs. I told you I wouldn't support an omnibus, minibus, but now we've got enough Republicans to fill a special bus. <laughs> we have to really get back to fiscal responsibility. We keep saying it. But then we have Republicans who don't stand for the words that they're actually throwing out on the campaign trails. We're not going to be that way. We're going to continue to fight. Well, uh, uh, let me try to make the speaker's argument here. And that is that, hey, I just got the job. We are passing these uh, single item uh, appropriations bills, uh, but I need more time. So I need time for this set of bills until January. I need time for this other set of bills until February. And then we'll have these fights. Uh, I, I take it. Uh, did I get his his side of the argument right? And And you're not satisfied with that. Chris, look, at the end of the day, I do not put all of this on Speaker Johnson. My confidence levels in his leadership, his ability to get single-point appropriations bills passed, I still have absolute confidence in Speaker Johnson's ability to lead. He did inherit his predecessor's poor policies. We're not going to argue and dispute that. But my whole fight is because we passed Milcon VA, DOD, um, uh, Energy Water, many, many bills that could fund about 80% of our government. 
and we're not applying the necessary pressure to the Senate to pass those to continue the funding. If we had to shut down CJS, as an example, which is a weaponized FBI, let me tell you, my feelings would not be hurt by that. We need to make sure that we're getting the cuts reforms in place. And as I said, and I'll stand by, I will not vote on any continuing resolutions at the Pelosi level spendings without having necessary. And here's the thing, Chris, we didn't have to do a CR. We should have, in my opinion, looked at instead of a CR, a sequestration that brought us back to fiscal year 19 spending levels for 30 days, which is like a 1471 level, and then put policies on there like H.R. 1 for the Low Cost Energy Act and H.R. 2 to secure our borders. uh, uh, The number one uh, important topic for any American, and especially for us in CD7, you know, Florida and Texas has taken in an abundance of illegals. And we should have shoved that down. Schumer and Mitch McConnell, the two Democrats running the Senate, we should have shoved it down their throats and said, if you don't do this, and we're going to hashtag this as a Schumer shutdown. But instead, we end up going the opposite direction and continue to fund at Pelosi spending levels. And again, I don't put this on Speaker Johnson. He inherited a bad hand. But that doesn't mean that we have to continue to do the same thing. That's what's led to us at $33-plus trillion in spending. Listen, I only have a minute left in this segment. It's a hard break. I have to take it. Can you stay through? It'll be a short break. You got it, Chris. Okay. All right. Um, but before we do that, this uh, is it now a done deal? The continuing resolutions have passed the House and on their way to the Senate? Continuing resolution, unfortunately, has passed. Bad day for the American taxpayer. Okay. All right. But it's a good day for Central Florida because we have Congressman Corey Mills up there in D.C. fighting for us. And when we come back, we'll ask him about the fight between Kevin McCarthy and this other congressman. A a rumble in the jungle, right? (laughs) A fight might be a mischaracterization, but we'll uh, we'll get the scoop. Uh, Once again, Congressman Corey Mills on the line with us now. And Congressman Mills, uh, what's your website again, please? Uh, Our website is millsforflorida.com. Millsforflorida.com. As he just explained, the continuing resolutions have passed. They're on the way to the Senate. And uh, both Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer have said they like these uh, continuing resolutions. So I I take it there's a high level of confidence that uh, they'll pass and Joe Biden will sign them before the weekend? I mean, with the exception of their last names, there's really no, you know, sunlight in between the two of Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer. It's just two, you know, Democrats running the Senate. Um, so unfortunately, they will pass. And, and this is all the more reason I encourage everyone, get out and vote for America First conservatives. Stop voting for the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. That's how we got McConnell. That's how we continue to get a lot of the people in Congress who don't want to fight, who Again, when you come into Congress, the one thing you're guaranteed is a voting card and a lapel pin. But what you're not issued is an actual moral courage and a spine to be able to stand against the D.C. status quo. So um, we need to do something about it. But unfortunately, yes, we're going to continue at these Pelosi spending levels, these you know post-COVID emergency spending levels, which has just continued to drown us in $33.6 trillion and just debt alone where we're spending $644 billion to service the interest. We need cuts, we need reforms, and we need an actual economic growth strategy because 
we can't continue to drive ourselves towards an economic abyss. By the way, I have to say this so people quit calling uh, Pete on the bridge. J.J. won the tickets for Jeff Allen. So uh, uh, if we have some more tickets, uh, we'll let you know. But uh, you can stop calling. J.J. won the tickets for Jeff Allen this weekend. Randy has a question for you, Congressman. Congressman, as you know, I do ask the very important questions like, what is your favorite color? And we now know it's orange. (laughs) But here's my question. What was it like when you got to Congress and you now know all this pork is always constantly being added to this process and that's something you have to deal with. Is that just something that you already knew about going into it and you knew you'd have to figure out a way to manage it, or is it really eye-opening to you? You know, it's sad, Randy, that when I came to Congress and I had heard that we had won the majority, you think that you're going to act as the majority. You hear a lot of people on the campaign trail giving a lot of their raw, raw red meat-eater speech, and you hope that they carry that over onto the floor where we can actually make a difference. But unfortunately, as time goes on, you can see the political fatigue starting to set in, and those who actually talk real tough on the trail have lost their actual efforts and the fire in their ability to continue to take that fight onto the floor. Uh, not our case. I'm going to continue to do exactly what I always promised that I was going to do, which is to continue the fight, but it is discouraging. I think that it's just all the more reason that we have to win back the Senate, but what we really need in 2024, we need President Trump back in the White House so that we can go ahead and take this back and start getting us to the prosperity to the safety, to the freedom, and making America great again. Uh, Corey, another question is, when are we going to deliver a stern message to Iran? Because this Mideast problem will go on and on for decades unless, you know, the instigator has shown some form of punishment. And how capable is Iran to sink one of our carriers? Look, I don't think that Iran has the necessary strength to sink one of our carriers. I mean, we could obviously go back to the USS Cole, where that did take. It didn't sink a, uh, our ship, but it did actually do a tremendous amount of damage, and there was loss of life. But the reality is this, though. I don't necessarily look at it in the way that we need to do a tit-for-tat on military strikes. I don't think that that's the overarching answer here, because what we have to acknowledge is China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea are all geopolitically aligned towards the same goal, which is to attack and go after the United States and the West, whether it's economically, militarily, or diplomatically, as they try to use the dollar as a discouraging mechanism for developing nations so they can say, oh, don't have confidence in the dollar, it's going to sink, because they're actually going after it. I think that what we should be doing is, is we should be going to China, who's actually helping to support and fund Iran in these efforts, and say, every time Iran strikes us, who you're geopolitically aligned with, we're going to look further and further into decoupling, increasing taxes and tariffs, and actually holding you accountable for the actions of your political alliance. We see where they're already advancing things like BRICS, the Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa geopolitical alignment to counter our Quad agreement or our trilateral AUKUS, Australia, UK, US. But the reality is is that we can't keep saying that the answer to every single solution is further attacks and further military efforts. What we should be doing is what I voted on, and there was only about 50 of us that did, We should be removing our troops from Somalia, removing our troops from Syria, recognizing that these endless wars have no end state. They don't preserve our U.S. national interests. They only endanger our American troops and continue to increase our spending, which, again, this is kind of uh, in line with what we were just discussing on the CR about continual spending. But it's not just about going ahead and saying, okay, you hit us 53 times. We're now going to hit you a couple of times as well, and then we're going to call this even. No, there is no call this even with terrorist organizations. There is no call this even with the largest state sponsor of terror. We have to look at the root cause, which is always going to be that hurt these nations. You don't necessarily do that bomb-to-bomb, gun-to-gun, bullet-to-bullet, 
isn't about kinetics. It's about economic resource and cyber warfare. We need to hurt them where it matters most. The way Trump was doing when he was cutting their ability to ship petroleum, when he was cutting their ability to make money, when he was putting them into diplomatic isolation. We need to be looking at being able to go back to those type of Trump foreign policies that doesn't involve us regretting more into warfare, but gets us back to hitting them where it matters, which is right there in the pocketbook. Speaking of warfare, was there extra spending in these uh, continuing resolutions for the hundred? What was one hundred six billion dollars that Biden wanted? Was that snuck in there anywhere? No, that 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 was not included in this. This just continues the the current level of spending right. to fund the government. It wasn't additional funding for Ukraine or any of the other things like that. Those are those are. A, uh, things that Speaker Johnson has agreed that he would take as individual bills the way he did with Israel. Okay. So is that the next step to handle those things, those uh, requests? Well, I guess we'll see. But I can tell you right now, as, as everyone in the district knows, uh, I will vote no on any additional funding to Ukraine. And I'm still waiting on the resolution that Marjorie Taylor Greene had submitted back in January of this year to do a 100 percent audit on Ukrainian spending so that we can actually determine whether or not that did route through FTX whether that did get 10% for the big guy, where Burisma's payments were truly coming from. Uh, I think there's a lot of answers that need to go on. But look, here's the bottom line, and every American should be able to agree on this. This isn't a left or right Democrat-Republican thing. We have to secure our borders. We just saw what happened on October 7th with the attack by Hamas. What do you think is happening as they stream across our own borders? Americans more unsafe here at home. You don't think that we're going to see another 9-11 type incident or another sleeper cell type incident whenever you've got 11 million people who's come across and we know that there's hundreds of those who have actually been caught who are on terrorist watch lists. We need to start getting back to what we said we were going to do. Get our actual energy security, secure our border, protect our children, strengthen our military, stop the CRT, ESG, and DEI nonsense, and actually get us back to a position where we can actually be from a position of strength doing a very Reagan-esque or Trump peace through strength kind of mechanism. But right now we're fighting over nonsense. We're trying to just stop the train from running over every single American. We can't do that when we continue these Pelosi-level spending. Uh, speaking of fighting, mm-hmm. uh, what did happen between former Speaker McCarthy and Congressman Burkett? Was it a shove? Was it an elbow? And are the feelings— Well, I've, I've, that- I've talked to them, and I, I'll tell you right now, uh, Burkett is one of my, my good friends. He's a great member. Uh, good patriot. He he explained it very clearly that when McCarthy came by, he essentially kind of elbowed him a bit uh, into the kidney. He then followed him up and started actually questioning McCarthy on it, uh, and and kind of you know calling him out for this chicken type move. McCarthy claims there was no room in the hallway. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I'm taking the second hand. Uh, obviously, one of the journalists had made comments of it, um, so Sam was not on his own with that. But the bottom line is is that. You know, if he would have punched harder to try and get conservative bills as he does in a hallway, maybe he'd still be speaker. He needs to actually this this shows how he is unraveling. We started to see this in conference when he started to elevate his voice when he's supposed to be the calmest person in the room. Uh, if this is an idea of, of what's there to come, then I can tell you right now, I don't see McCarthy remaining in Congress for long. You know, I was going to ask you sort of, the, you know, what you could reveal about the back room, shall we call it negotiations, those last hours there, uh, electing uh, Congressman um, uh, Johnson to be the new speaker. I mean, did it get really nasty or, or was was it by that time everybody was just kind of tired and wanted to get it over with? No, when it came to Speaker Johnson, I mean, it was actually a really, really good thing. We all came together. We were all singing in unison. I mean, 
Um, there was some shenanigans that was going on during the speaker's vote. It happened certainly uh, when Byron Donalds was running for speaker, who was who I was endorsed and supporting. And so, you know, it's one of those things where McCarthy was trying to, to utilize some proxies to go ahead and sway the decision because it wasn't his handpicked guy. But I will tell you, Speaker Johnson had received the entire support of the Republican Party. He's the only speaker uh, to win 100 percent of the conference since John Boehner. And so that should give an indication into the, the trust uh, and into the fact that he lives. This is the best part about our speaker. People forget this. He lives as every other middle class American lives. He's not sitting here bought and paid for. He doesn't have stock, you know, in, in, in all of the defense companies and across the country. You know, this is a guy who legitimately lives as all middle class Americans live, and he represents our constitutional values, and he is faith based. So uh, I think people recognize that, and that's why we all came together behind him. But no, there wasn't a whole lot of fight when it came to getting uh, Speaker Mike Johnson into the office. Yeah, Corey, there was a letter that was signed. It said 400 U.S. officials signed a letter today demanding a ceasefire by Israel. U.S. officials, 400. I take it you weren't one of them. <laughs> that is a guarantee that I was not one of them. I support Israel's right to its defense. I think that they must at this point eliminate the terrorist organization Hamas. And if need be, Hezbollah, if Hezbollah chooses to come in. But at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge that who is the American that tells another nation how they should or should not defend their own country? You know, that's where I just find where this interventionist idea, this neocon, neolib idea where we have to involve ourselves in everyone else's conflicts, you know, we have to stop that. We can give advisory. We can support our allies. But we can't tell them, oh, you should run your military operations and exercises this way. It's funny that the same people who want to talk to Israel about telling them that they should be looking at a ceasefire are the same people when it came to Ukraine and Warren Davidson, who tried to pass an amendment that said that no money should go to any nation unless they come up with a military strategy. These are the same people who are saying, who are we to demand that Ukraine tell us how they're going to do their operation? Oh, but you can tell Israel how they can actually launch their operations and wouldn't have a ceasefire? The hypocrisy that exists up here, you can't even imagine. And so I was not one of those. I support Israel's defense um, or their right to defense. I think that they must eliminate these terror tunnels that has been in many ways utilized under the humanitarian aid provided by America and other nations, and that we have to give the Israeli citizens and all of the innocent civilians the right to a free, a safe, and just a, a, a good world. I mean, that's the problem. You're not going to have that with these terroristic organizations. And so Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran, I'm fine with them basically meeting their demise. All right. Congressman, one last question. A couple of weekends ago, you were here on stage at the Freedom Summit, Republican Party of Florida, and I saw where you got your picture with Donald Trump and your son backstage. What was it like? <laughs> what was it like backstage with uh, President Trump? Is I mean, is he, is he as easygoing as he appears to be on stage, uh, considering everything swirling around him? Well, he, he is. And look, I, I, it's not the first time that I've been uh, backstage and, and you know, I've, I've talked to the president probably at least once a week. Um, I was just with him again a couple uh, days ago last week down in Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Um, he, 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 at the end of the day, he's a, a true American who loves this country. He doesn't have to put himself out to all these attacks. If he stopped and said, I won't run, you would see all these indictments disappear tomorrow. You would see the attacks on his kids and his businesses and his properties go away tomorrow. But the fact is that he loves this nation. He loves his children, his grandchildren. He wants to see a better, more prosperous and safer America. He wants America 
to get back on track the way it was. In his first two years, we saw economic growth and prosperity like we'd never seen before. And so um, he, he's an amazing guy, and, and you know we really need him back into the White House to be able to go ahead and help to save this republic. Well, I do have one thing about. to add. Okay. Um, actually, Congressman Mills will be head-to-head head head with Congressman um, Maxwell Frost at Tiger Bay. <laughs> That'll yes. be a great matchup. <laughs> the best part was when I reached out to Corey, Congressman Mills, and he wasn't quite sure he'd even signed up for this. But anyway, that's beside this. So Friday, November. Well, I didn't, and I, I didn't even know about it until you told me about it. <laughs> you know, you said, hey, are you aware of this? Said, no, actually, I'm not. I've never agreed to this. It's uh, Friday, November 17th from 1130 to 130. Listen, we're in Orange County, Florida, where this that's is happening. Tiger Bay. Yeah. So we need to get as many Republicans out there to support uh, Congressman Mills as possible. Well, I'm still trying to, to, to see what exactly the point in this would be because, you know, arguing with a, a 20-something-year-old who <laughs> thinks that the answer to all the world's problems is to take the weapons away from every single American. Um, look, it, Ma- Maxwell, uh, I, I, I've supported a couple of the amendments that him and I have worked on together, like the Transparency Act, which would show all of the defense spending and where the money goes. I think it's right for the American people to know this. Um, but we certainly do not see eye to eye on 99.999% ideological beliefs and how the Constitution is really framed. Yeah. Well, behind the scenes, the person moderating this, I know for a while, has been trying to get Congressman Mills to do an interview. So I think this is <laughs> one of his ways way. to be able to do it, right? Yeah, just uh, that, that old uh, rule of thumb that uh, I was reminded of when we started this show. Just remember, when you argue with an idiot before long, people can't tell the difference. Between, right? So That's con- exactly right. Well, Congressman, uh, thanks so much for being with us tonight. No matter who you debate, you Thank can come you. out ahead. Appreciate you guys. And, and one thing, if you speak with President Trump again, please, on our behalf, issue our, or extend to him our condolences on the loss of his sister, Mary. I absolutely will. And I talked to him uh, just yesterday about uh, his sister, Mary Ann, and uh, offer our condolences and uh, just told the president, I said, just know that myself and Florida 7th District, we stand with you on your best of days and on your worst of days. That Amen. Was nice. that was Amen. Very nice. Thank you very much. Very uh, thank you for your time. We'll Thanks, talk guys. to you again real Have soon. A good night. All God bless. That's Congressman Corey Mills uh, declassifying D.C. for us. On Patreon Home Funding Friday, Pierce Outlaw, Nostradamus, and I were updated by Undoing Time magazine publisher Patrick McGarrow on the week's developments involving President Donald Trump's legal affairs. All right, so it is now time to go to Patrick McGarrow, publisher of Undoing Time magazine. And, Patrick, how are you doing this week? Wonderful, Chris. Uh, Great to be back on Adversaries. Before we get started, I wanted to dedicate my uh, participation in the show to my friend and attorney, Lane Williamson. He lost his wife to a battle with uh, lung cancer this week. Her name is Annie. I ask uh, that you're audience just says a quick prayer in their heart. She was a wonderful woman. She she lived in North Carolina. She was a conservative. She was a Trump lover. She was a big fan of the show and a big fan of me, and she will be terribly missed. God bless her heart, and may she rest in peace. Mm, thank you for that, and definitely we will extend prayers for Annie Williamson. All right, let's start with the uh, New York case. Uh, I've taken the call in this judge in Moron, and because of his moronic behavior in that court up there. And finally, an appeals court has stepped in and uh, put a stay on that gag order. Is this, did they use, was it similar language as the stay that the appellate court in Washington used when they stayed uh, Chutkin's gag order? Yes, and it's actually even shorter. We have the uh, gag order, uh, or the lift, or the stay of the gag order, 
up on undoingtime.org. It's right on that front page. Uh, so, the, you know, your audience can uh, can actually read the decision. And very, very, very simply, it just says, this case implicates significant First Amendment concerns. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's unclear how this judge can regulate Donald Trump's speech outside the courtroom while he's in the courtroom, and he's subject to court rules. You can regulate speech, but regulating political speech outside the courtroom is a no-no under the First Amendment. That's why this court, uh, which I didn't think he'd find a uh, sympathetic ear in New York, but he apparently did, this court, the Appellate Division First Department, has uh, quashed that order for now. This is a a Judge Friedman, if I'm not mistaken. Are are you familiar with this judge at all? Mm, Not really. Um, I I didn't know this judge. I didn't get... uh, It probably came from the Civil Division. I did mostly criminal defense work when I lived in New York, but uh, apparently... Uh, the judge heard argument, r- ruled right from the bench on an emergency motion, issued a quick order, uh, done out of here. Very simple, very clean, uh, and to me, very legally clear that this uh, Judge Friedman is correct and Judge Engoran, Finkel is Einhorn, Einhorn is Finkel. Uh, it's totally and completely wrong. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that. I hear that. Um, and there's actually new, there's actually new uh, breaking news out of Judge Einhorn. <laughs> uh, just a little while ago, he filed an he filed an order declining Trump's motion for a mistrial. I will say this: Donald Trump's lawyers put together a bang up job on a mistrial motion that they filed Wednesday. That article is also up on Undoing Time. I put I posted the article itself, plus the trial transcripts, which are almost eighteen hundred pages altogether. Wow! Without even requiring a response from New York Attorney General Letitia James. The judge denied that motion today without even holding a hearing or getting a response from the other side and specifically said, we're not even going to hear this motion in court. How the judge could read 1,800 pages of material in less than two days is beyond my comprehension, Chris. So, Patrick, is that... Denial grounds for a mistrial or uh, for an appeal anyway. or, or a dismissal. That's that's absolutely that's gonna just we're just going to add that to the litany of issues that Trump will appeal uh, when that final judgment comes in. But, but Trump does have several different appeals related to Judge Engoran's uh, conduct pending right now, including. Uh, what's called an Article 78 petition. This is all on the website. Your viewers can look it all up. An Article 78 petition seeking a writ of mandamus to basically quash this judge's uh, First Amendment restrictions on him. Not only that, there's also an Article 78 petition pending to disqualify the judge for uh, extreme judicial bias. Now, inside the courtroom this week, the Trump uh, sons Eric and Don Jr. were set to testify again. I think the president himself was set to testify again. Uh, did that happen? If so, was there anything in there of note? Uh, if it did not happen, why not? Nothing. Nothing of note happened uh, this week in, in the court. I mean, the, a lot of the stuff is uh, that's going on right now. Now the defense case is putting on their cases, right? Right. Um, and basically. Uh, a lot of this, a lot of the air in the courtroom is being swallowed up by these motions, right? And rightfully so. The lawyers are trying to rein this judge in because I, I believe this judge is is way off the reservation here. 
So Trump Jr. took the witness stand a couple days ago, um, and that's uh, that's you know, and they're basically just getting grilled and harassed by uh, by Letitia James. Yeah, that's really that's going on. Right. Okay. Um, all right. Then is, is there any indication? I believe when they first started this process that the judge said it was going to be done by the end of November or the 1st of December. It appears to still be on that schedule? Um, maybe. I, I think it'll, you know, here's the problem in New York, uh, among many other problems. <laughs> um, nobody wants to work in between Thanksgiving and the New Year. New York courts like to shut down completely and totally, so they don't. Nobody, you know, these civil servants don't have to do anything. Nice five week vacation there, yeah. yeah. If you can get it, yeah. Well, we, sh- we stretch that into six because they they try to make it so that the second week of January <laughs> is when everything starts coming back to life, just oh. in time for Martin Luther King. Day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I tell you, you know, get a nice another three day weekend. So, and, and, um, and obviously, I think they want to draw this out as long as possible, right? To to keep dogging Trump. Exactly, and 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 I think what you know they're, what they're going to do is they're going to drag this out, and then the, suddenly you're going to see a flurry of activity because the judge is going to start to lose patience because he's going to want his four or five week Christmas vacation just like the rest of the court staff. Uh, which, by the way, they're all unionized, so <laughs> you can bet dollars to donuts they're going to be pushing to end this quickly so they can get, they can uh, take the rest of the year off. There's one way to take the rest of the year off, and that's dismiss the case. <laughs> yeah, well. well I'm sorry, Dennis. That would make too much sense. <laughs> Indeed it would. Indeed it would. All right. Uh, in the meantime, let's go down to Washington, D.C. I saw a report this week that Smith has withdrawn his request for subpoenas for, uh, I guess, a Trump PAC and another organization that uh, he was going to try to get information about that case in Washington, D.C. Did you see anything about that? Is anything else developed in that case this week? Uh, not yet. He's just withdrawn his subpoenas uh, for now. That that doesn't mean that he's not going to want to uh, reissue to them. bother with that again. As it was basically subpoena-seeking records about fundraising by the Political Action Committee, Save America, which uh, we know that Donald Trump, uh, um, you know, controlled for a while, um, and and probably realizes that uh, the subpoena would be moved, there would be a motion to quash the subpoena, and he would probably not prevail. And it sounds to me like this is part of a fishing expedition. Uh, That's my my guess. That's what my gut instinct tells me, is that it's a fishing expedition. And the minute that a lawyer starts biting back and tells, uh, you know, the attorney for the other side, by the way, we're going to move to quash the subpoena, um, this is not, you know, being uh, done in good faith, uh, then they back off. Does this tell you that he's not at all yet confident that he has enough to close this case? It's it's curious to me if, if you believe that you have such a slam-dunk case as the government has posited publicly, right? then why are you fishing and nibbling around at the edges in, you know, political action committees and stuff like that uh, I also think that any information that he could have possibly gained from that would not be relevant to the central issues in the, the D.C. case, which are very very simply and strictly because of the way he decided to formulate that indictment. It's, it's you know, perpetrating a fraud against the United States. This is something totally and completely separate, unless he wants to start going out on a limb and start making this quote-unquote insurrection part and parcel of his case, but then... 
that then he runs into all kinds of other evidentiary problems. Okay. Um, Judge Cannon uh, in Miami, I believe, denied a motion to uh, change the venue of that case. Is that right? That's right. And right. Judge is- Cannon, Judge Cannon issued a couple of rulings this week, um, and basically is, is going to keep the uh, trial date set for now. But that may change because the judge did say also we recognize that this is uh, you know this is a, an extremely fluid situation and this is an extremely complex case. We're keeping these deadlines in place for now, but that may very well change. Uh, the judge also rejected. Um, you know, basically rejected a couple of other minor requests from the government. Do you uh, now the uh, decision evidently, and we don't know this for sure, but the reports are that uh, Special Prosecutor uh, Herr is not going to indict Joe Biden. He's going to, you know, going to spank him with a report or something like that. Uh, Would that maybe have any bearing on uh, the case in Miami? Uh, if I were Donald Trump, I would be I would be using whatever comes out of that investigation as part of a motion for selective prosecution. In other words, you know what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And I will say this, and I, and one of the, one of the benefits of all of these things that are happening to Trump is that it has opened up the eyes of the public as to what's really going on in the criminal justice system because we have a criminal justice system in this country, in my humble opinion, that uh, not only is two-tiered, but is also run amok, right? Yeah. If they can do this to him, they can do this to us. But And what's good for the goose should be good for the gander, am I right? Isn't that what the Equal Protection Clause of the United States Constitution is about? That's the way I understood it. But what do I know? I mean, I, I only <laughs> spent three years law. in law school. Yeah, that's all. All right, we come back from the break. I want to ask you about Judge Totenberg and what she's doing in Atlanta involving uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger and the Dominion voting machines. We're talking with Patrick McGarrow, uh, publisher of Undoing Time magazine. You can go to undoingtime.org, subscribe there, undoingtime.org. It's a wealth of information. As he says, he puts the very documents themselves from these cases up there so you can read them for yourself as well as his great analysis and articles, undoingtime.org. And please remember to say a prayer for Annie Williamson, great Trump supporter whose uh, life ended much too soon. We'll be right back. AM 950 and FM 94.9, The Answer. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Do you suffer with low energy, difficulty sleeping, digestive issues, frequent illnesses, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, Heist Health Clinic is for you. Hi, this is Renee Humphreys. At Heist Health Clinic, we use holistic methods to balance your body so it can help heal itself. Call Heist Health Clinic at 407-677-1660 or go online to drheist.com so we can help you experience outrageous health. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're like me, you're probably spending more time in your vehicles, so it's more important than ever that we can rely on them. That's why if you have a Mercedes-Benz, you need to know Jerry and Jana Shepard, because you can rely on Jerry's MB to keep your Mercedes in tip-top shape without leaving your budget out of shape. With their state-of-the-art facilities, factory-trained techs, decades of experience, and reasonable prices, Jerry's MB is your dealership alternative. Jerry's MB is located just off Alafaya Trail, just north of UCF. Give them a call. 
call at 407-366-6499 or visit them at jerryzmb.com. Remember, they're your dealership alternative. jerryzmb.com, 407-366-6499. Folks, do you suffer from nagging back or neck pain? Ever wake up feeling more exhausted than the night before? And what about that sleep partner who's turning your nights into a concert of snores or dealing with breathing issues, acid reflux, or sleep apnea? Here's the game changer. Discover a better night's sleep and a better day at Relax in Comfort. We're a unique mattress store. At Relax in Comfort, we're all about elevating your sleep experience, and we've got all the top brands to prove it, including Tempur-Pedic, Personal Comfort, and Stearns and Foster. Our smart beds aren't just beds. They're your personalized sleep sanctuary with hundreds of healthy positions. They're designed to fit you perfectly. Plus, they have an amazing feature, automatic snore detection and response. No more sleepless nights because of a noisy partner. The best part? We're conveniently located at Winter Park Village just across from Regal Cinemas. Come see us today and experience a nice sleep like never before. Relax in comfort, where better sleep leads to better days. That's relaxincomfort.com or visit us in person at the Winter Park Village just across from Regal Cinemas, a family tradition since 1967. The holidays are here, and there's no better way to enjoy them than to celebrate with family and friends as you break bread together. Cafe Positano's is where thousands of families and businesses have enjoyed delicious, authentic Italian food served in a quiet atmosphere. Brothers Pasquale and Roberto Barba are proud to offer their family's recipes to your family, except on Thanksgiving Day, when they prepare the food and serve their employees. Celebrate and make Cafe Positano's a holiday tradition for your family and enjoy authentic Italian. It's time to convert and sell more with the best tools made for small, medium, and large businesses to grow online. With JJC Marketing Solutions, you can grow with do-it-yourself, easy website and funnel builder, or they will build it for you. More options at your fingertips with JJC Marketing Solutions. Not only do you get the best state-of-the-art website, but also comprehensive sales funnels, CRM tools, and powerful search engine optimization. No matter where you are, they can help you grow your business with affordable online marketing solutions. Get weekly reports, dashboard access, and full transparency to see how your keywords are growing. Start building your uh, online yeah, presence today. Some... JJCMarketingSolutions.com. That's JJCMarketingSolutions.com. We all know we can't avoid death and taxes. Here in Florida, we also can't avoid mold, mildew, and grime building up on our homes, businesses, carports, and sidewalks. When it's time for you to tackle that dirt and grime, call Deer Brothers Exterior Cleaning, D-E-E-R-E. They do it all from soft washing roofs to high-powered washing for those really tough jobs. No job too big or small. So when it comes time for you to deal with the mold, mildew, and grime, call Deer Brothers Exterior Cleaning at 407-978-8834. Leave the dirty work to them. 407-978-8834. It's Comedy Night with Jeff Allen, Saturday night at Family Church Lakeside Campus. Get special pricing now in Gold Circle Seating, or join us for the VIP meet and greet. You can even get tickets at the door. Get all the details now at TheAnswerOrlando.com.
All right, it's time to go back to Patrick McGarrow, the publisher of Undoing Time magazine, undoingtime.org. You can subscribe right there. So easy to do. So I didn't even know this case was going on until the, the news broke this past weekend, Patrick, that Judge Totenberg, a federal judge, has uh, ruled that a case called Curling versus Raffensburger will go forward. I believe she set the trial date for January the 9th coming up. And this involves the vulnerabilities of these Dominion voting machines. What can you tell us about this case? This lawsuit's been going on since 2017. Uh, and it's basically... 2017? 2017? Um, 2017, this litigation has been going on. And it's filed by several individual voters and the Coalition for Good Governance, which advocates for election security and integrity. And basically, they're suing the Georgia Secretary of State and the uh, State Election Board. And now, the wait, 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 wait a minute. Are they suing because they disputed the results of the 2016 election? No, 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 no. What they're, do- what they're suing is because uh, the people are arguing that there is uh, – the plaintiffs are arguing that electronic voting machines that do not have hand-marked paper ballots – basically infringe on the right to vote because there is no way for the individual voter to verify that their vote has been counted as they have cast it. How about this one, Patrick? What about voting machines that are electronic, but they give you a paper ballot that is printed incorrectly, as happened in this past couple of weeks? And and that that is also something that's come up in the course of this litigation. Listen, you're talking to a guy that hates technology, okay? I want that old school machine with the punch out, mm-hmm. you know, where, where it has the hole in the paper and you put it through and you know that it's getting counted yep. because it gives you a receipt yep. that tells you you've been counted. You know, those old, remember those old lever machines? That's what I, sure. and even then those could be manipulated, but much less so than, than the computer. It is so easy to manipulate a computer system. And that is what these plaintiffs have been screaming about for years is how do I know my vote has been counted. Mm-hmm. How do I know it's been counted properly? And basically, the um, the state of Georgia has been fighting back on this viciously, and they filed a motion for summary judgment asking the judge to dismiss the case without a trial. And in a 135-page ruling the court issued, I think today, uh, the court said, no, this case is going to trial. This is going to be tried before the bench, not a jury. And also basically said that, uh, and I will quote, reasonable, timely discussion and compromise in this case, coupled with prompt, informed legislative action, might certainly make a difference that benefits the parties and the public. So basically, the judge is saying, you guys really need to sort this out at the legislative level, get rid of these machines at the legislative level, or implement some sort of legislative uh, reforms that, you know, give people the peace of mind that their vote is being properly counted and properly uh, you know properly registered and therefore this will solve the problem to her it's a very simple uh, thing the judge also made it clear and I'll quote again this does not suggest that the plaintiffs are conspiracy theorists of any variety indeed some of the nation's leading cybersecurity experts and computer scientists have provided testimony and affidavits on behalf of plaintiffs case in the long course of this litigation. So in other words, these concerns are validated 
by cybersecurity people and computer science people, people that know a lot more about this stuff than you or I. Patrick, I wanted to ask you, uh, and this goes against the backdrop of when Kemp was elected governor, he was the secretary of state sitting in charge of the election that he beat Stacey Abrams and took the governor's post in 2017. Then one of his first things that he did was he dumped the old Diebold systems that they were using for the elections and spent tens of millions of dollars replacing the Diebold systems with the Dominion systems. Was this lawsuit filed before or after that? Was it filed as a result of the Diebold systems or the Dominion systems, or do you I know? I believe it's filed as a result of the, of the uh, Diebold systems, but it doesn't. ultimately it doesn't make a difference because the end result is exactly the same. You have a computer, not a person, counting the vote. And, and you know, just as an aside, I do seem to remember a certain loser named Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. contesting that election and refusing to concede and talking about something, uh, yeah. making some sort of outlandish claim that the election was stolen from her, if I recall yeah. correctly. Denier, yeah. denier, well, denier. In fact, leading up to 2020, it was the Democrats who were raising objections all over the place about the use of these machines. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren was foremost. That's right, that's right, exactly. Let's dump the machines, let's go back to paper. Yeah. There, nothing uh, says loving like a paper and a pen. Or purple exactly fingers. Right. Well, I say purple fingers. Well, I'm like you. I don't Cast like your vote. The Iraqis got it figured out, yeah. Well, purple fingers. Let me ask you a couple of questions uh, about this case. First of all, if she determines that these machines are not reliable and that the public shouldn't trust them, can she ban them from being used in 2024? Of course, that would be appealed, but can she make that ruling? And second of all, uh, if this goes the way it appears it's going to go, what effect could this have on Trump's case in Washington, D.C.? Well, and, that, and, that and by two way, interesting is, questions. And by the uh, way, his first, case in Atlanta, too. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. First, I don't think she has the authority to direct the state of Georgia. As a federal judge, she doesn't have the authority to direct the state of Georgia to use uh, any type of vote-counting system over the other. What she can do is say, I make a finding that use of this machine or these machines deprives a person of the fundamental right to have their vote counted under the United States Constitution. Therefore, the way that this system is in place now is unconstitutional. State of Georgia, fix it now, right? Yeah. And now it's up to the le- – and that's why she keeps, she keeps saying in the order the legislature really needs to get involved because they need to fix it at the legislative level, at the state level. All she can do is make a finding whether someone's constitutional rights are, are violated or not. Fix it or uh, which what? Which is exactly what the state of Georgia wants to avoid. If right? they choose not to fix it, maybe we take away their electoral votes in the next presidential election? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's another interesting question. I don't know how that works, but uh, uh, what, what? That, that, would, that would certainly spawn more litigation. Now, the, the second question, how does this help Trump? Uh, if that were to come to pass... I would be, as Trump's lawyer, I'd be screaming my head off. I'd be using that as a motion to dismiss. And I think that would probably be extremely powerful evidence in my favor to show that, uh, you know, the four words that every married man loves to utter, 
I told you so. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They might love to utter it, but I don't know if it's wise to do so. All right, so, uh, Patrick, once again, wh- where can they find you? Undoing Time. Undoingtime.org. We're also on Facebook. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn at undoingtime.org. Uh, one more question from Peter. Yeah, good exit question for you. Uh, in the Senate this week, we heard uh, Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana ask a Biden uh, judicial nominee what the difference between a stay and an injunction was, and the lady was unable to answer it. So my question to you is, when in law school did you learn that? <laughs> Uh, that would have been in the first year of civil procedure course, which every first-year law student is required to take. What is the difference between a stay and an injunction? Uh, an injunction is an order that basically prohibits somebody from doing something or direct or forces them to do something. A stay is a suspension of a court order that uh, directs somebody to do something. Very good. All right, and yes, that Simple. that woman was nominated for a federal judge. Oh Lord, couldn't oh, tell us. And that. here I am publishing a magazine. <laughs> a good one, though. It is undoingtime.org is where you find it. Patrick, thanks so much for being with us, and please extend our condolences to the Williamson family. I will. Thank you very much, guys. You got it, Annie Williamson. Please say a prayer for her tonight. We'll be right back. 